It's called The Christians and the Pagans. Amber called her uncle, said we were up here for the holiday. Jane and I were having solstice, now we need a place to stay. And her Christ-loving uncle watched his wife hang Mary on a tree. He watched his son hang candy canes, all made with red dye number three. He told his niece, it's Christmas Eve, I know our life is not your style. She said, Christmas is like solstice, and we miss you, and it's been a while. So the Christians and the pagans sat together at the table, finding faith and common ground the best that they were able. And just before the meal was served, hands were held and prayers were said, sending hope for peace on earth to all their gods and goddesses. The food was great, the tree plugged in, the meal had gone without a hitch Till Timmy turned to Amber and said, is it true that you're a witch? His mom jumped up and said, the pies are burning, and she hit the kitchen And it was Jane who spoke, she said, it's true, your cousin's not a Christian but we love trees, we love the snow, the friends we have, the world we share. And you find magic from your God, and we find magic everywhere. So the Christians and the pagans sat together at the table, finding faith and common ground, the best that they were able. And where does magic come from? I think magic's in the learning. Cause now when Christians sit with pagans, only pumpkin pies are burning. When Amber tried to do the dishes, her aunt said, really, no, don't bother. Amber's uncle saw how Amber looked like Tim and like her father. He thought about his brother, how they hadn't spoken in a year. He thought he'd call him up and say, it's Christmas and your daughter's here. He thought his father's sons and brothers saw his own son tuck his sleeve, saying, can I be a pagan? Dad said, we'll discuss it when they leave. The Christians and the pagans sat together at the table Finding faith and common ground the best that they were able Lighting trees in darkness, learning new ways from the old And making sense of history and drawing warmth out of the cold Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. You know what? Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy, and therefore wealthy, to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is Your Community Spirit. Coming at you live, local, and in your face here at WDBX 91.1 FM, Community Radio for Southern Illinois. My name is Tree Song. I'll be your host today for your community spirits. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you might be wondering where Orr is. He is off on another one of his adventures, but he will be back again next week. And I will, we will switch places. I will be off on an adventure. <laughs> but uh, we always try to be sure one of us is here to share all of the community news and happenings and ecological news that we have to share.
All right, the song we heard at the beginning of the show was The Christians and the Pagans by Dar Williams. I always like playing that one around the holidays. It's a good song about uh, interfaith understanding and getting along with different members of your family. Uh, it's a good time. All right, speaking of good times, we have lots of news and happenings to get to today. Uh, so let's start with some of the news from Occupy. You get these stories from Occupy Updates Daily, which you can also find at occupyupdatesdaily.blogspot.com. All right, our first story is a judge has approved a plan concerning the Oakland Police Department and their new compliance director, which will hopefully keep officers in line and from overstepping their bounds. Now, we've we've mentioned a lot of Occupy stories on here uh, whenever there's news from Occupy, and uh, a lot of them have come from Oakland, which has been one of the most contentious areas in terms of both, uh, you know, a lot of uh, militant activist activity and a lot of police bashing people's heads in. Uh, so... Uh, definitely curious to see how that turns out with new training plans to try to ensure that the police don't actually uh, bash people's heads in. All right, in other news... In at least 10 different countries, Walmart workers will be standing up against the corporate giant uh, this this week, addressing multiple concerns. Uh, now, this is, uh, we recently here in the U.S., we had a massive uh, protest against Walmart in honor of Black Friday um, because they were, uh, I mean, they, they always have questionable relationships with their workers, but they were doing new Black Friday policies where you had to come in on Thanksgiving so that they could open early and do sales so people didn't get to have their Thanksgiving in addition to not having health benefits and all of those other things. Uh, but but now, uh, in other countries, since they didn't have that Thanksgiving, in other countries, Walmart workers are doing their organizing now. So everybody's asking, what can Walmart do to improve their relations with their workers? In other news, we mentioned this story earlier, so we may as well mention a follow-up. The occupier whose tweets were subpoenaed has been sentenced after the tweets apparently proved his guilt. Uh, this was a story where, you know, they were trying to uh, charge an occupier with di disorderly conduct, and they wanted to get access to uh, his tweets uh, in order to prove that, you know, he was being malicious in his public activities. And they ended up, the, the subpoena did happen, they got the access to the tweets, and they said it demonstrated that he was knowingly disrupting the public and disobeying the police and all that. So uh, they sentenced him to community service. Uh, so that, that is a precedent then that if they uh, if they want to look at your tweets, they can look at your tweets. Which, you know, it, this the, the questionable thing. You know, this I mean, tweets are a public thing, so they could just look at the site. But he had deleted tweets, and so they got access to the deleted tweets, which is where the legal question came in of. You know, he, he deleted those tweets. Are they allowed to subpoena the computer records of uh, Twitter in order to see what those tweets were? And apparently, at least according to this legal precedent, the answer is yes. 
Let's see what we have in other news. Tiny twisters could power your town someday. <laughs> so you thought you were pretty cool with uh, wind turbines, eh? Uh, Canadian inventor uh, Louis Michaud uh, sees your wind turbines and raises you a tornado. <laughs> yes, climate change may be unleashing monster tornadoes upon us now, but those aren't the tornadoes that Michaud wants to control and exploit. Today, the inventor won a grant through the uh, through the Thiel Foundation's Revolutionary Breakout Labs to develop power-generating twisters. Now, at first, when I saw that headline and read the, the little bio there, um, I was a little concerned about the idea of mad scientists creating tornadoes and uh, weaponizing them and destroying the world, but this, is, this doesn't sound like that sort of deal. Here's a little bit of the details. Uh, so th the goal here, the long-term plan, is to take waste heat from a thermal power plant or an industrial facility and use it to create a controllable twister that can generate electricity. Now here's how it works. They take the waste heat and they blow it at an angle into a large circular structure, like a, a massive cylinder basically, you know, and it creates a flow of spinning hot air. And we all know that heat travels upward and as it does it spins itself into a rising vortex. The higher the twister grows, the greater the temperature differential between the top and the bottom creating stronger and stronger convective forces that act like fuel for the vortex, eventually allowing it to take on a life of its own. The result is that the hot air initially blown into the bottom of the structure starts getting sucked in so forcefully that it spins electricity-generating turbines installed at the base. Now, given, given the destructive history of naturally formed tornadoes, many people might be freaked out by the thought of having a man-made one intentionally, you know, uh, at these power plants, you know, in, in, in or near big cities, like, what if the tornado gets out? Oh, no. <laughs> I'll admit that thought did occur to me when they were talking about creating tornadoes. But the, according to the design of these things, they're much safer to operate and control than, you know, a lot of other forms of power, like nuclear power, for example. Because basically what happens is, you know, all that they have to do in order to stop the tornado is stop uh, pumping in that hot air. Then it just, on its own, dissipates. So, so basically, it's a self, self-contained, you know, pretty, from, from their description and from my understanding of the science, it seems like a pretty safe process. And it's a way to do something with this waste heat. Uh, so, that's an interesting story. I, I really like renewable energy stories and I really like new technology stories. So, uh, at this point, it's just in the conceptual stage. They're doing initial research, uh, which is why he got the grant. But we'll see if there's any news on this as it develops. And we'll be sure to bring it to you if we see it. Ah, the power of tornadoes. Now in other news, uh, other natural news, we have coming soon to a horror movie near you. 
Antarctica is being invaded by king crabs. Oh no. That sounds like it could be a horror movie. <laughs> I wonder if they'll fight with the uh, Lovecraftian penguins that are hiding out there somewhere in Antarctica. All right. Anyway, Antarctica is being invaded by king crabs. And somewhat ironically, it's because they survive better in warmer water. Uh, cold, cold temperatures have kept crabs out of Antarctic seas for 30 million years. But warm water from the ocean depths is now intruding onto the continental shelf and seems to be changing the delicate ecological balance. An analysis suggests that 1.5 million crabs are in habits Palmer Deep, a seafloor valley. Native organisms have few ways of defending themselves. Quote, there are no hard shell crushing predators in Antarctica, says Smith. When these come in, they're going to wipe out a whole bunch of endemic species. So scientists are asking for volunteers to help stem the invasion. Uh, the research team will provide melted butter and nutcrackers. <laughs> so I think they intend to eat these king crabs. Uh, but yeah, as I want to mention this story because it's not just about crabs. It's about uh, rising ocean temperatures. Because uh, as o ocean temperatures have risen, so have temperatures in the Palmer Deep. Westerly winds are strengthening and the cir uh, circumpolar current is intensifying, driven by atmospheric warming and a hole in the ozone layer over Antarctica. These changes are lifting warm, dense, salty water from 4,000 meters down in the southern ocean up over the lip of the continental shelf. So this, this is, in fact, uh, likely connected to climate change. Uh, so that's one of the interesting things about climate change. You never know what's going to happen. You know, you change the entire... You raise the temperature a few degrees on the entire planet, and all these different climatic changes start taking place. And before you know it, king crabs just are suddenly invading. In other news, seven states led by New York sue the EPA over methane from oil and gas drilling. Uh, now, this we, we have talked about this, the increase in uh, oil and gas drilling, and uh, we've also talked about how some states are uh, resistant to it. Uh, let's see. So uh, Eric uh, Schneiderman uh, is the uh, uh, attorney general over there in New York, and he's filed a lawsuit against the federal government seeking to force an environmental review of fracking. Now, that lawsuit was tossed out, but this week he's decided to try a different route to address the problem. Uh, he's leading a coalition of seven states, and he notified the EPA of his intent to sue the agency for violating the Clean Air Act by failing to address methane emissions from the oil and natural gas industry. Now, this is one of the things we talked about before on the show that is a concern about fracking is, uh, you know, they... Uh, it's it's a strange thing where the EPA is tasked by the Clean Air Act with keeping the air clean, but then they decide in certain situations, you know what, we don't actually have to keep the clean air here, you know. Like, we'll keep the air clean where it's not being polluted, <laughs> but when it's being polluted with 
this particular instance, we won't worry about that. Uh, so methane, as you may know, is a very potent greenhouse gas. Pound for pound, it warms the climate about 25 times more than carbon dioxide. EPA has found that the impacts of climate change caused by methane include increased air and ocean temperatures, changes in precipitation patterns, melting and thawing of global glaciers and ice, increasingly severe weather events such as hurricanes of greater intensity, and sea level rise. In 2009, the EPA determined that methane and other greenhouse gases endanger the public health and welfare. The EPA's decision not to directly address the emissions of methane from oil and natural gas operations, including hydrofracking, leaves almost 95% of these emissions uncontrolled. I mean, that's part of what's so strange about this to me is that, you know, the EPA's own documents have said methane is a concern, is contributing to climate change, and then they don't regulate the chief emission source of it. <laughs> All right, well, we'll we'll be definitely following that lawsuit to see how uh, uh, New York and those seven states fare in their lawsuit against the EPA. Now, here's an interesting story for the holidays when you're off uh, visiting that uh, uh, visiting extended family and talking with that uh, that's wacky uncle who doesn't believe in climate change. Uh, here's, here's a study related to that. Here's how you can get conservatives to care about the environment. Uh, now, according to this study from the journal uh, Psychological Science, uh, a UC Berkeley study has found that while people who identify themselves as conservatives tend to be less concerned about the environment than their liberal counterparts, their motivation increased significantly when they read articles that stressed the need to, quote, protect the purity of the environment, and were shown such repellent images as a person drinking dirty water, a forest filled with garbage, and a city under a cloud of smog. These findings offer the prospect of pro-environmental persuasion across party lines, said Rob Willer, a UC Berkeley social psychologist and co-author of the study. Quote, reaching out to conservatives in a respectful and persuasive way is a critical uh, is critical because large numbers of Americans will need to support significant environmental reforms if we're going to deal effectively with climate change in particular. Uh, this is really interesting to me. You know, on the one hand, I don't believe there's any sort of one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter solution for any group of people, but it's interesting to have different approaches, different themes, and get a little insight into the psychology of different people who are uh, resistant to doing anything about climate change. You know, it's not it's not productive to yell at people and say, you know, you're a jerk. Why aren't you doing anything about this? <laughs> you, you've got to try to think about what appeals to them. You know, why they will consider it an important issue, and talk to them on those terms. All right, in other news, agroforests can heal food systems and fight climate change. Now, uh, if you'd like to sign up for our newsletter to get the full stories of these, you can email us at info at yourcommunityspirit.org. And this particular story was from grist.org, one of the environmental sites where we get a lot of our stories. And I wanted to mention that because it's a good one, so you can check out the whole article there. But uh, in the meantime, 
Uh, we have uh, a quote from, well, f- quote from Wendell Berry first. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. <laughs> See, sequoias take a long time to grow, but when they do, uh, they're quite big and beautiful and an important part of that ecosystem. But it takes visionary thinking to think ahead a thousand years uh, for when that tree will be at its uh, peak. On the other hand, if you're Mark Shepard, you may think more about planting chestnuts. For Shepard, the owner of New Forest Farm and a farming consultant, the long-lived perennial trees are a central feature in the ideal farm landscape. Annuals such as corn, soybeans, beans, and other vegetables that we planted and harvested every year are labor-intensive and come with steep environmental costs such as erosion, soil degradation, and nutrient runoff. So permaculturists like Shepherd see planting fruit and nut trees and other perennials, which only need to be planted once, and then once they're mature, continue to produce year after year, as a key sustainable food system. His 106-acre farm in southwest Wisconsin is filled with hazelnuts, chestnuts, pine nuts, currants, berries, apples, and much more. Uh, so yeah, this here's, here's, let's pick out a good quote here. Uh, there are two problems with agriculture, even organic agriculture, said Shepard recently on the phone. Quote, you're either trying to keep something alive that wants to die, or you're trying to kill something that wants to stay alive. <laughs> you know, you're either trying to plant those uh, those seeds in a soil that isn't ready for them, or you're trying to kill off the weeds that are sneaking in there. But I like this acronym he has, STUN. It's a uh, sheer, total, utter neglect <laughs> is, is the goal of uh, once you've designed and created this ecosystem. Because he propagates varieties of fruit and nut trees that produce edibles early and often and continue to thrive in an agriculture system that, once planted, mostly gets ignored until it's time to harvest. Um, in my permaculture studies, there was another saying that they had that was, the designer is the recliner. <laughs> you know, the goal is to spend a lot of time researching plant species, seeing how they interact with each other, planting the system, preparing it, and then once you've done that, they all, all the plants get along well, and uh, nature takes its course, and you can recline. <laughs> so I want to be sure to mention that about uh, edible food force, and it's, it's a way of both feeding people and addressing climate change. We'll definitely talk more about those whenever we can find any stories about them. All right, let's get to some holidays and community happenings. Uh, we have coming up today the birthday of Nostradamus. I uh, wonder if he predicted all the things that would be going on today. All right, coming up on Saturday, Bill of Rights Day and Cat Herders Day. You know, I've heard that cats are hard to herd, but I guess you never know. Sunday is Underdog Day. And uh, let's see, Monday is Saturnalia, celebration of Saturnalia. <clears throat> And Monday is also Take a New Year's Resolution to Stop Smoking Day. And I'm, I'm a big favor of people stopping smoking. It's their own choice, you know, but if anyone wants help stopping smoking, I will be there to be supportive. All right. Let's get to some of these uh, community happenings. We have at Friday today at 6 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center, Rice and Spice International Slow Food Dinner. This week's theme is Latin Holiday Party. It's the final Rice and Spice of 2012, and they're ending it with a bang. Not only will there be delicious Latin food, but they'll end the evening with salsa dancing. So dinner and dancing, that sounds like a good time at Guy House Interfaith Center, 
913 South Illinois in Carbondale. All right, we also have the open mic night. Open mic night coming up at Guy House, also tonight at 7 p.m. It's an opportunity to show off performances in a comfortable coffee house meets living room environment. Uh, I go to the open mic there sometimes. It's usually a pretty interesting time. And that's, uh, and it usually goes along with rice and spice too. You know, you get your poetry and music and dinner and dancing. It's a good time. So it's tonight, 7 p.m., Guy House Interfaith Center. All right. Other happenings. We have the Winter Farmer's Market. Now, we mentioned last week how there's a growing national trend of uh, farmer's markets uh, in the winter increasing. Well, farmer's markets in general are also increasing, but it's it's a special new trend with Winter Farmer's Market. And so we here in Carbondale are trendsetters. We have a Winter's Farmer Market. It's every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. through March, except on December 29th. It's located at Thomas School, 1025 North Wall Street in Carbondale. So it's a good opportunity to, through the winter, still have some access to uh, local local foods, uh, local crafts, all sorts of really interesting stuff. Uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, whatever we can grow during the winter at the Winter Farmer's Market. All right, other happenings. Yes, we have the International Human Rights Day Celebration. This is coming up Saturday at noon at the Town Square Pavilion on the corner of Illinois and Maine in Carbondale. Uh, the Peace Coalition of Southern Illinois and the United Nations Association of the USA are celebrating United Nations International Human Rights Day. That's coming up on Saturday at 12 noon at the Carbondale Town Square Pavilion. Now, they will have signs describing each of the 30 articles of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Now, you may not be familiar with them all, so if you show up at noon on Saturday, you get to find out all the rights you have. <laughs> you have rights you never knew you had. Oh, I get to have free speech. You know, I get to move around places. You know, some of them are rights that we're familiar with uh, because they're also enshrined in the Bill of Rights here in the U.S., but this is an international document that uh, contains many rights that people in the U.N., uh, and people of the world are advocating for so that all people can be free and safe and happy and, uh, and, and enjoy their lives, enjoy their time here on planet Earth. So once again, this is coming up on Saturday. That's tomorrow at noon at the Town Square Pavilion. It's a great learning opportunity to learn what all these rights are, and it's a great celebration opportunity to celebrate the fact that there are so many people now who are trying to fight for everyone's rights. All right, one last happening here. Uh, for the entire month of December, uh, the Good Samaritan Food Pantry boxes are being geared towards the holidays. 
Uh, we uh, we always they always have need there at Good Samaritan for uh, donations of food to feed people who are uh, having food scarcity and in need of food. But they're trying to do something special for the holidays and get some foods uh, of a more festive nature: uh, stuffing, potatoes, gravy, green beans, mushroom soup, frozen chickens or turkeys, cranberry sauce, pumpkin pie, pie crust mix, canned yams, sweet potatoes, all that sort of good stuff. Uh, they're open Mondays and Fridays from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Um, and the donations can be dropped off at the Good Samaritan House at 701 South Marion. Or for more information, you can uh, contact Patty Mullen at 618-457-5794 or visit their website at goodsamcarbonale.org. Uh, you know, as we celebrate our winter holidays, it's good to remember that there are those who are struggling just to get by and to share what we can so that everyone can have a happy holiday. All right, this has been an informative and exciting year community spirit. I hope you've enjoyed it at least as much as I have. Uh, it's always good to share all these news and happenings with you. Uh, we will see you here next week on the radio, and I hope you have a happy holiday.